from the Spirit of God, okay? Why don't you guys have a seat? My friend, the Haineses are here. Good morning. Welcome to Capital City Christian Church. We're so excited that you're here. My name is Logan. I'm one of the elders here. This is my beautiful wife, Mackenzie. Hi, everybody. If you've been here before, welcome back. If you're tuning in online, so glad that you're with us this morning. But if this is your first time here, we're especially excited that you've decided to spend the next three to four hours with us. So thank you it for It is being... not three to four hours. Don't say that. Close enough. <laughs> no, that's not what's happening. Okay, we're gonna tell you some quick announcements because this is not gonna take three to four hours. Uh, the first thing I wanted to let you all know is that we are having our get a, Getting Started class. It's not like a class, like we're out for summer, right? So it's not like a class class, it's like a let's go, let's ask some questions, learn about Jesus, learn about baptism, ask why there's so many bald guys here. Any of those questions, none of them are off limits. And you can go immediately after this service over to the connections room, which is just right outside. Wisdom, that's why. Uh, so today starts uh, something kind of fun. This starts our summer vacation. If Jesus wasn't enough for you to show up during the summertime at Capital City Christian Church, uh, hopefully donuts and the fun things like donuts are one of them. So today is Donut Sunday, if you haven't been Ooh. able to tell. Next Sunday is Cookout Sunday. We've got our new party shed back in the back. We're going to be using that next Sunday right after second service for a great cookout. So come and participate in that. Yeah. And then um, in two weeks from now, we're going to be having our half-day spiritual retreat. And so we're going to host that on a Saturday morning, and it's going to be from 8.30 to 12. And that's going to be out at Cove Springs Park, which is a really gorgeous park that we have here. It's nice and peaceful. Uh, the only thing is, if you want to come, please let us know ahead of time. Um, so that way we can make sure that we have all of the different things that you need so that you can get in there and get deep and talk to Jesus. So if you were here last week, you saw Jordan, who is not quite as good looking as I am. Definitely uh, not. Not mm -mm. quite as smart either. Nope. Uh, but he was here last week, and he was talking about uh, this Donut Sunday. And he gave the extremely corny uh, analogy that uh, our life is a lot like a donut and how it's got a hole in it, and that hole represents Jesus. 
while true, extremely corny. I think you guys can agree with me on that. Uh, one thing that uh, did stand true is the fact that Jesus didn't come for the healthy. He came for the unhealthy. And what better way to signify that than giving you guys a whole bunch of donuts today? So um, that's why we're doing Donut Sunday. You guys think it's for your, you know, just well-being and get you to come to church. It's to signify your relationship with Jesus. So now we're all unhealthy. <laughs> So another reason why we did that is because you can tell a lot about a person by seeing what donut they pick out. Did you all know this? So we have a lot of new faces here, and so we wanted to start to get to know each other a little bit. So we figured, uh, we found this really great article about what your donut choice says about you. So we're all going to get to know each other. So look around to the person beside you and tell them what your favorite donut type is. Real quick. Okay, good. The longer y'all take, this is going to take three to four hours. Okay. All right, just kidding. All right, so how many of you all, your favorite go-to donut is sprinkles? 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 Anyone? Anybody raising the hands? None of them. Yeah. Oh, so one. We got this, one. Oh, okay. one. This is, this is what sprinkles may say, if, if you're the one. Um, you might be a bit scatterbrained, but it's okay because it totally comes off like endearing most of the time. You're super into pop culture and gossip friendly. You knew everything that was going on with that big trial. Everyone wants you to come to their party everybody because you are the life of the party you personify fun but you're also the last one to leave which might be a little kind of rough every now and then um but you're always keeping people on their toes so go you sprinkles all right how about just a regular old glazed donut anybody several of you some now that you realize what these sound like you're like i'm not sure if i want to <laughs> raise my hand i get it so if yours is just a regular old glazed donut people say that you are an old soul you take leisurely baths. You have two eggs every morning for breakfast at 7 a.m. You read the New York Times every Sunday morning with your university mug full of black coffee. Jazz music playing in the background. You don't believe in horoscopes or articles such as this, but yet you decide that you're going to read the entire thing just in case. And yet you're still reading this as you peer into your glasses, over your glasses, with a smile pleasantly to yourself. Yeah. See? Felicia knows. Mm, yeah. All right, how many of you all would choose Boston cream? Oh, okay. Doc, so Steve, we, we got, we, we got two of the Steves on staff on this one. Let's see, let's see how this one says. Rest of staff, here we go. Uh, Boston cream people, they invite themselves to parties. <laughs> yeah, see? Yeah. When they Exhibit leave, a. they take an extra swag bag in hopes nobody notices. They cheer for whoever is leading in whatever sporting event, even though they didn't even know that they existed. Mm, yeah. Um, you celebrate your party for an entire month. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And during a summer season, you keep your sunglasses on way after the sun goes down. Cool. All right, <laughs> totally next one. People. Last one. <laughs> Double chocolate glazed. Anybody? Ooh, several of you on that one. You naughty little devil. You. You know the <laughs> phrase, caught with your hand in the cookie jar. It was one of the first things that you actually learned. People fear your aggression on the road, and who can blame them? You're always in a rush to have an affinity for tailgating. But deep down, you have more bark than you do bite. You're a sensitive soul and contain multitudes. Did we get any of these right? No? Okay, we won't do it second service then. <laughs> well, um, we're really glad to give you all that opportunity to get to know each other a little bit better. Let's jump into learning a little bit more about our God. Let's stand and worship together. Days 
come into this place together as, a, as a, a family to be more like Jesus Christ. That's what we want you to feel like is, is your goal and what we want to feel is your purpose. And so everything that we do in here is to try to look more like Jesus Christ. And the things that we learn, the things that we do, the things that we ask you to do, the things that we are encouraging you to go out into the world and do, you'll look more like Jesus. And this world can be changed because of that. Unfortunately, our foundation, we've we put it on other things, and it usually just fails when we do that. And when we figured stuff out in this life, it's because we figured out that Jesus Christ is the only foundation that truly matters, the only foundation that really is going to be there and is going to stand the test of time. And we want you to understand that today. We want you to understand that there are people in this world who still don't understand that, who don't know that, and our job to be a light out in this world is to go to those who are truly in need, who are sick and hurting and lost and alone and broken, all those different things. We want to make sure that that foundation is 
within each of us so this world can see Jesus Christ within us. You guys agree with that? Let's make that happen today. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but only lean on Jesus' name. On Christ's
today to stand on the foundation of Jesus Christ. We want him to be our perfect example. And Father, forgive us for not doing that every moment of every day. Forgive us for not allowing us, for not ourselves, not doing the things that we should be doing. And Father, giving us these opportunities to go reach out to this world so that they know who you are because of our love for Jesus Christ. Father, we want to build on that foundation in this place. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Why don't you guys have a seat? Father, we recognize that you're in the room and we pray that what we do here today will honor you. May the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts please you. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Hey guys, thanks for being here. It's, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. And then he went on to say, I didn't come for those who think they're healthy. I came for those who know they're not which is why I look like what I do. I want Jesus to come for me, right? I eat a lot of donuts. (laughs) And so we're trying to help you guys too. They give you a really good excuse for praising God, don't they? So here at Capital City, are we going to be a home for the hypocrites or a hospital for the hurting? Seriously. Which do you think we are right now? June the 5th, 1944, exactly 78 years ago to the day, Nazi Germany has blitzkrieged Europe, Poland, Romania, Czechoslovakia, Hungary, Austria, France, Greece, Italy, others. Britain is just hanging by a thread. The next 24 hours are going to determine the fate of the war, even the fate of the world. Tomorrow, the 6th, 156,000 Allied troops are going to cross the English Channel to storm the beaches of northern France, Normandy, D-Day. The night before, on June the 5th, 13,000 paratroopers of the 82nd and the 101st Airborne take off to be dropped behind the lines. If you all watch the series Band of Brothers, 
Among the paratroopers are two kids, Ken Moore from California and Bob Wright from Columbus, Ohio. They're just kids, 19, 20 years old. They're medics, kind of. Moore had had about three weeks training, Wright about three months training. In fact, Moore said that he'd signed up for the Airborne because he heard they got 50 bucks an extra, extra pay every month, and he heard that their uniforms would attract girls but he never expected to jump out of an airplane. That night they did. They missed their drop zone. They got separated from their supplies. So all they, they had to do their job with was whatever they had strapped to their bodies. They landed about 3 o'clock in the morning near a small French village named Angoville au Plain. Pardon my French. Just a few miles from Utah Beach, which is going to be one of the Allied beachheads. And at first, it's quiet. More and right spot this 900-year-old church, simple stone church with wooden pews. And since these medics are not there to fight, rather to patch up the wounded, they affix a red cross on the door to mark it as an aid station, and then they get to work. Because as soon as the Americans and the Germans see each other, the shooting starts. And the village goes back and forth between the Germans and the Americans. Now Moore, the one who'd had only about three weeks training, he finds an old farm cart, starts combing the village, finding wounded soldiers and wheeling them back to the church. Wright, the guy who'd had three months training, he's the one who'd assess and treat the wounds. They're just kids. The more serious the wounds, the closer they'd put them to the altar at the front of the church. Those they figured wouldn't make it, they put on the other side of the altar. Go figure. Now, these guys weren't trained to do the level of work that they were doing, and they didn't have all the supplies they needed, so all they could do was stop the bleeding if they could, clean the wounds, give morphine for the pain, and bandage them up as best they could. They just did what they could with what they had. At one time, a mortar shell actually crashed through the roof of the church. It landed right there on the floor, center of the room. It was a dud. It didn't explode. If it had exploded, can you imagine the damage it would have done inside that stone church? That cracked tile was still there. At another time, this German soldier comes bursting through the door. He levels his machine gun at those who are in the room, looks around and sees that they're treating the wounded, pauses, crosses himself, and backs out the door. At another time, three German officers walk in and they see that these American medics are treating wounded Germans as well as wounded Americans and even French civilians. So these German officers actually promise to send help if they can. Because because inside the church, it was not about who was winning or losing outside. It was about who was wounded or dying. How cool is that? They said they're treating men, not uniforms. Their only rule was that whoever entered had to leave their rifles at the door. How cool is that? In fact, Moore says there was little animosity expressed among those who were in that church bleeding together. In fact, he says in some cases, German soldiers actually helped carry wounded to the church. 
Altogether, these two young medics tended more than 80 soldiers, including about a dozen Germans and a couple of French girls who'd been wounded by the mortar fire. Anyway, by the evening of D-Day, the church was packed with the wounded. Stained glass was all shattered. At one point, when the Americans were losing control of the village, an American officer gave these two young medics the option of retreating. They chose to stay. They had work to do. When the Americans regained control of the village, another officer wanted to turn the bell tower into an observation post. Wright refused to allow it. He argued that since the church was an aid station, it was neutral ground. The Germans had honored that. The Americans should too. And they did. Finally, after about 36 hours nonstop, Americans moved on, as did the medics, having treated over 80 soldiers and civilians, irrespective of their uniform. In fact, the mayor said at one time they would kill each other in the cemetery and they'd heal each other in the church. <laughs> That's still happening, isn't it? Right here. Killing each other out there and finding healing in here, I hope. By the way, Wright and Moore both received silver stars for their work at Ungoville Alplain, for their valor and for their gallantry in action. It's a cool story. And the church is still there. Ironically, the name of that 900-year-old church is the church of St. Cosmas and St. Damien. It was named in honor of two 4th-century Christian martyrs. Cosmas and Damien were Christian doctors from Syria. They were regarded as, by Catholics as patron saints of doctors and surgeons. They were renowned for their willingness to treat anybody who was sick, wounded, or ill, regardless of what color they were, what uniform they wore, what kind of money they had. They accepted no payment for their services. <laughs> kind of like Moore and Wright. Even kind of like us, I hope. And after the war, here's what's interesting. The villagers... When they saw their blood-stained pews, they decided not to replace them. They didn't clean them up. They didn't cover them up. They preserved them because they wanted to make a point. That church had been built in the 1100s to be a place of healing for the hurting and the broken, a place for the wounded to come, for the injured to bleed. And on June the 6th, 1944, it's exactly what it was. So it is now known as the church with the blood-stained pews. And when they replaced the stained windows, they memorialized that day on purpose, built a, a memorial to write and more out in their cemetery. And don't you hope that's kind of the way that they're going to remember Capital City Christian Church someday? Frankfort, Kentucky. A place where the hurting, the broken, and the bleeding came to find healing without condemnation. You have to leave your rifles at the door. doesn't matter what uniform you've got on out there. We treat people who bear the image of God. And here it's not about who's winning or losing out there. It's about healing the wounded and the dying. But it's hard. 
It's hard to be a place like that. People who are injured bleed, make messes. And oftentimes we are ill-prepared and ill-equipped to treat them, kind of like those young medics. Sometimes the uniforms that they wear out there and the messes they make out there are offensive to people in here. Not to God, I think. Now, 13 years ago, I told a story that I stole from Philip Yancey. He tells a story about a friend of his who was working with a prostitute in Chicago. Prostitute had been renting her two-year-old daughter for kinky sex in order to support her drug habit. It's an awful story, a sordid story. The counselor asked the girl if she'd ever thought about going to a church for help. And he says a look of pure naive shock crossed the girl's face. And she said, church? Would I ever go there? I was already feeling terrible about myself. They'd make me feel worse. Now, what struck Yancey is that people like that prostitute were drawn to Jesus. In fact, the worse a person felt about herself, the more likely they saw Jesus as a refuge. And he says, why are those who are drawn to Jesus too often repelled by us? Why is it the sinners love being around Jesus? They enjoyed his company. They sought him out. They invited him to their homes and to their parties. Sinners tore off a roof to get to Jesus. They crawl out of windows to get rid of us sometimes. What did Jesus have that sometimes we don't? Could it be as simple as truth and grace? Now, I know too often in a church we present ourselves as a sterile place. This is a clean place, a neat place, right? We hide our wounds, we hide our blood, and we get a little uncomfortable when others expose theirs sometimes. Don't bleed on me. Don't bring your messes in here. Clean yourself up before you come in. Don't mess up what we're trying to keep nice and clean. In fact, way too often, a lot of people when they come to church put on a mask. We pretend that we're better than we really are. Sometimes they stay away, and sometimes when they come in, they put on their masks too, pretending they're fine. The problem is that any time you keep hiding the wound, it's hard to get it healed. You see, I think most churches err in one of two ways. It's kind of the default. It's kind of natural to drift one of two ways. Some churches are strong on truth, but they're light on grace. Other churches are strong on grace, and they're weak on truth. It is really hard to be good at both. So godlike. But that's what Jesus requires of his Jesus followers. He, he requires, first of all, that we be honest about our own brokenness. I'm a sinner, guys. I can't fix myself. You guys are messed up sinners, every one of you, right? You can't fix yourselves. We do what we shouldn't do. We don't do what we should. We think what we shouldn't think, and we refuse to think on things we should. Our dreams are too petty. They're too self-absorbed. We hurt each other. That's my truth. It's your truth. That's God's truth, right? And we know we can't fix ourselves because we've tried. We're not smart enough, strong enough, good enough. But we actually believe God can 
fix us, heal us, transform us if we let him. We believe that he's smart enough and he's strong enough and he's good enough and he's willing. It's grace, all grace from an omnipotent, omnibenevolent, omni-loving God. I'll show you. There's an incident recorded in the Jesus stories of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three. Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee with several of his disciples when he calls this guy named Levi, also known as Matthew. Now, this was bad. Matthew was a tax collector, and they hated tax collectors back then even more than we hate them now, right? Because this Jewish tax collector not only rubbed shoulders with Gentile overlords, but he was a collaborator. Back then, tax collectors made their money by overcharging you. Greedy, self-serving parasites. To a good Jew, a tax collector was unclean. They would literally defile anything that they touched. It's kind of like they had cooties on steroids. If Matthew had come into this room and sat on one of these chairs, we'd have to sanitize it before you'd be willing to sit in it. It was weird. It was wrong that Jesus called Matthew to join them. Even weirder that Matthew accepted. But there was something about Jesus, right? People who were repelled by us so often are drawn to him. And you never know what God has been doing behind the scenes on the people that you despise. Who's your Matthew? Who do you despise? For Ken Moore and Bob Wright, those two young medics, it should have been the Nazis. Even those who were wounded and bleeding, right? But you have them too, I suspect. Maybe for some of you, someone whose skin is different. Maybe it's an ex, an ex-spouse, an ex-friend, an ex-boss. Maybe someone who identifies with some letter of the alphabet that you identify as sin. Maybe someone who wears the uniform of a rival political party or cause. Maybe someone who hurt you. Maybe someone who hurt your kid. Who's your Matthew? Who is it that you wouldn't mind if they bled out? and then burned in hell. It's weird enough that Jesus would call a Matthew to follow him. It's weirder still, maybe, that a Matthew would be drawn to Jesus and follow him. Now, what's weirder yet is where Jesus led him. Matthew followed Jesus to Matthew's house. Now, if Matthew had, or Jesus had led Matthew to his own house, we'd get that. I mean, you can always scrub down whatever Matthew touched. If Jesus had led Matthew to Peter's house, you could excuse that, scandalous perhaps, but you could sanitize the house. But Jesus led Matthew to Matthew's house, seriously. In their eyes, whatever Matthew touched became unclean. Wouldn't that make Jesus unclean? But in God's eyes, whatever Jesus touched became clean because darkness can't defeat the light. And sin can never defeat God's grace. Do you believe that? And worse, worse yet, weirder still, we're told that Matthew throws this party. And as his guests, he called even more tax collectors and sinners. They're everywhere, defiling everything they touch, they thought. At least Matthew was kind of a Jesus follower. 
but the rest of them? And now they're all there hanging out, parting with this holy man? And so these scribes, these religious teachers, these religious leaders, guys like me, religiously meticulous and scrupulous, obsessed with our own purity and reputations, it looks like they weren't willing to go into the house to confront Jesus, so they confronted some of the disciples of Jesus who were still hanging outside. I don't know, maybe these outside disciples were outside because they were kind of bothered by Jesus inside too. I don't know. Anyway, to these holy men, Jesus was not only ignoring their purity rules, probably their food laws, which is scandalous. Jesus is not only becoming contaminated personally, that's bad enough, but it's kind of like Jesus is accepting these sinners just as they were. You see, back then, eating with somebody, just eating with someone, is kind of considered an offer of peace, an offer of forgiveness. If you're going to sit down with someone for a meal, you're kind of like offering your friendship, offering your acceptance. So why would you disciples, they asked, follow this unholy, holy man? Well, Jesus either hears what's going on outside or he just knew because he is God, right? So he goes outside and he tells these guys, and here it is. This is what we started with. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners. I didn't come for you religious guys, Jesus said. I didn't come for you. I came for those who are bleeding. Now, do you buy that? You think Jesus didn't come for good people? Just the bad? Really? I thought it came for all of us. You see, the problem is there's, there is no one who is healthy on their own spiritually in God's eyes. There is not a single one of us who is righteous on their own in God's eyes. Do you buy that? Bible says there is no one who is righteous, no one who is wise. All have turned from God, all have gone wrong. No one does what is right, not even one. I'm not the exception, and I don't think any of you are. So I kind of like the way the NLT puts it, because I think this is what Jesus meant. He says, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they're sinners. You see, some people know they need Jesus. Others don't think they know, need Jesus, which means they really, really, really need Jesus, right? Did Jesus come for you? Did he die for you? He thinks he did. Do you realize how badly you need what Jesus can do for you? You realize how badly you need grace. Now, listen, guys, this is Matthew's house. This is where Jesus comes to meet the messed up. This is Matthew's house, where Jesus is willing to step into our brokenness, right into our messiness. If you're actually inside this house, then you are one of us who recognize that we need Jesus. We need his truth and we need his grace. We need his healing and we think he can do it. 
the guy who wrote the book, Bloodstained Pews. We actually have copies of it in our connections room if you want to read one of them. Cool says that if this church reaches average people, one in four of us abuses alcohol regularly. One in four of our women have had an abortion. One in 20 of us are contemplating suicide. One in six of us are actively battling anxiety disorders. One in five of us guys and one in eight of you ladies have had or are actively engaged in an affair. And if people actually try out a church because they hit rock bottom, those numbers could actually be worse in this room. We don't require people to clean themselves up before they enter this house. Jesus didn't. We don't require that people put on a mask and hide their woundedness before they come into this house. Jesus didn't. We don't frown when people bleed on our pews. All they're doing is mixing their blood with ours. We find healing here, I hope, as we meet Jesus. And whatever the uniform they wear out there, we want them to find healing here, right? So, is this a safe place to bleed? Do you think they have to clean themselves up before they can enter this place in search of healing? Who in our town, who in our county, who in our world wouldn't be welcome here at Capital City? Do they know that they're welcome here? You see, our job here at Capital City is not simply to prevent pain and bloodshed if we can. Our job is to find a farm cart, wheel them in if we can, seek out the wounded, people like us, to bring them into our home and do whatever we can to tend them, trusting that the one who came into this world to heal anyone who wanted his healing recognized that they're sick, can find it in him. Do you believe that God can do it? Do you think God is gracious enough to forgive anything? Wise enough, strong enough to transform us into what he wanted us to be? Do you believe there's a God? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? We do. And we believe that he wants you here. In fact... He wants to sit at table with you, which is an amazing thing, isn't it? Here's where he offers his acceptance, his forgiveness, his grace. You sit at table with Jesus, and it's a foretaste of the kind of life that he wants to have with you forever. That's what we're going to do here in the next couple of minutes. We're going to sit around this Lord's table. We do this every week. If you haven't been here at Capital City, around this room, you see these little worship stations. On it, you're going to see a black box, that offering box. If you're a guest, that's not for you. That's where those who consider Capital City their home, that's where we give our first part back to God. It's an act of worship. You'll see a white bucket on every one of these little stations. On the top, it says generous bucket. If you have a dollar or two and you want to drop it in there, Every dollar that goes in there, we pull together and we use to help people who are hurting, sometimes in the church family, sometimes in our community, sometimes even beyond. 
just benevolence money. And then you'll see trays. There's a little piece of bread and there's a little cup of juice. That's his offer of grace to you. That bread represents a body of Christ that was broken for you for the forgiveness of your sins. That cup represents the blood of Christ that was shed for you. That's his offer. You come and sit at table with him. Why don't you bow your heads with me, please? Father, for your grace, we give you thanks for the challenge to be a people that not only are healed by you, but seek out others who need that healing. We just ask that you give us the courage, the wisdom, the zeal. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen. You're welcome.
that anything I say now will be anticlimactic, but I'm used to that, so sit down. <laughs> Guys, last October, I announced our succession plan. It's not that I am retiring, I am not. 
It's not that anyone has asked me to step down. No one has. I love this church, and I love being the senior pastor of this church. But I'm old, (laughs) nearly 68, and I've been the senior pastor here for 27 years. And I do believe that we're going to need a younger voice, a younger visionary with a fresh, fresh passion for God and for this church and a boatload of more youthful energy to lead this church. So ever since January, we've been looking for someone to start a transition. At the end of this transition plan, which probably will take about three years, I will still be on staff. I don't plan on going anywhere. I'll probably still be doing some preaching if I still can. But another man, a younger man, will be the lead. A lot of you guys already know that one of the guys we've been talking to is in the room. He's hard to miss. Not in this darkness, but it's hard to miss. Pull up the lights a little bit. Ben, stand up. This is Ben. And I don't know if you can see him or not. He's right here. There we go. Ben and his wife, Christina, and his three kids are with him. All of you guys stand up for just a second. Ben has met with a number of our families over the weekend, and since news like that spreads like wildfire, you can sit down. I figured I'd best introduce him to the rest of you. We have not hired Ben yet. We're taking a hard look. So shake his hand if you want. Blow him off if you want. There's good reason to blow him off. He's a Texan. He roots for the Texas Longhorns. And he's a Texan who does not root for the Dallas Cowboys. That is wrong. Ben Webb. Now let me wrap this stuff up. We've been talking about whether Cap City is a church with blood-stained pews. I know it sounds nice to say that we want to be a community where people are openly vulnerable, a place where hypocrisy is renounced, a place where we can be fully known and still fully loved by God and by each other. It sounds great, doesn't it? Do you understand what it'll cost us to be that kind of a church family? Now, we're going to kick off a series this morning called Bloodstained Pews. In the first part of this series, first four weeks, we're going to look inside. How are you doing? Where are you? You're bleeding too, you know. Are you finding any healing here? See, the problem is we usually make it tough on God to heal us. Sometimes we simply try to rationalize and justify our sin. We call that pride And pride hinders healing. Sometimes we just give in. It's who we are. It's what we do. We identify with our sin. I may hate it, but I can't help it. That's called shame. Shame hinders our healing. Sometimes we just blame others for our sin. It's not my fault. It's their fault. It's apathy. When we blame circumstances, we blame others for our sin, and that hinders healing. And then there's doubt. Is it too good to be true? Is God really that big, that strong, that smart, that he can even fix someone as messed up as me? And we doubt. And doubt can hinder your healing. So the first thing we're going to do in this series is to get honest with ourselves. If God is going to use us effectively as his medics, we have to own that we're wounded, wounded healers. And God is great at using wounded healers. And then in the second part of the series, we're going to talk about creating an environment where the wounded know that they are welcome. 
where they want to come and find God's healing, we're going to talk about God's truth and God's grace. I hope you're going to come back. I hope you help us be that kind of a church. But for right now, guys, please go away and grab a donut on your way out, okay?